This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Dayton Ward, author of a whole bunch of Star Trek novels, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. Boomers to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I have with me the guy that is trying to push Warp 5 to possibly Warp 6. I'm talking about my chief engineer and co-captain, Brandon Shea Matala. Brandon, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good today. It's been a it's been a long time since uh i've done a warp 5 episode actually no it hasn't been it's uh, we've been very busy with warp 5 we had a we had a very big month last month we we released five episodes for the listeners and we just wanted to do it as a thank you and we just wanted to thank all of you guys for listening um we cracked over 10,000 downloads which is our biggest month ever for warp 5 so we're very grateful for you guys for all your support all your downloads you know, you can help us out by sharing the episodes on social media and just getting the word out there. And uh, tell your friends, mention it to them, even if they don't like Star Trek Enterprise. You know, it might not be their favorite show. Tell them we're doing some great stuff on this podcast right now. We got some great interviews for you. So thank everybody. Thank all the listeners out there. We really appreciate it for a wonderful, wonderful month. Oh yeah, it's it's been great. You know the the response that we've been getting in the Babel conference on our episodes. I mean, I'm serious. It's called Warp Five. We might have to change the name though if we if we keep going like this. You keep you're you're pulling in these great guests, and we've got some great shows uh, coming up and that we've just put on. So yeah, this is it's been very fun on Warp Five. Yeah, we got a couple of really good ones coming up as well. I mean, like we're tentative right now that that should be coming up. I mean. Today's episode is Gary Graham, which is awesome. And uh, next next episode, we got a commentary coming along with with Dayton Ward, author Dayton Ward. We're going to be doing a commentary on on uh, Carbon Creek, and we're we're going to have some more writers on. We're going to get David A. Goodman to come on to talk about the episode North Star, and Mike Sussman, who's the the other half of the Phyllis Strong and Mike Sussman team. Uh, he, we're going to have him on in a in a couple of months as well. So I say a couple months because we're going back down to where every other week. We're not going to be doing it every week again. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a lot of work. <laughs> okay, so Brandon, you, you spoiled the surprise. Uh, I, I guess everybody oh. could have just saw the show art, though, and know that Gary Graham is coming on. So, oh, yeah. Yes, Boomers, a special episode. And we keep, I say special because they've – it you know we've been saying they're special and they all have been kind of special so how Spoilers. how can they be special if they're all special you know so yeah the ambassador Saval might state that that's a illogical statement 
you know, right? Yes, that's right. We have Gary Graham, Ambassador Saval, beaming over to join us very shortly. Uh, Gary's probably best known to Star Trek fans as Ambassador Saval, and he's also appeared on Star Trek Voyager for all you Voyager fans out there. Uh, however, Gary's also well known in the sci-fi fandom for his portrayal as Detective Matthew Sykes on the television version of Alien Nation. So yes, Brandon, you know what this means, right? Well, but before we beam him in, I got an answer to your question. You said, how could this be more special? Have you ever read Animal Farm? <laughs> yes. Yeah. All interviews are special, but some are more special than others. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. And it, it's, yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> but, Brandon, we have, an, we have Gary Graham from Alien Nation on, on here also. So, you know what that means? That means that this is now the Alien Nation podcast. Right. <laughs> we had Eric Pierpoint on just a little bit ago, and now we've got Gary Graham on. It, you would almost think this is the Alien Nation podcast. Yes. Right? Welcome to – I don't even know. I, I I haven't seen Alien Nation in so long that, I mean, I couldn't even come up with a podcast name for right. it. Like, like it's been so long since I've seen it. Like, it was a good show, and I watched it when I was a, a teenager, and, and I watched the movie and everything. But uh, uh, we could call it – oh, so – um, Eric Pierpoint said that the male aliens gave birth, so we could call our podcast "Pregnant Daddies." Oh my god! Pregnant Daddies, the Alien Nation podcast. Okay, well we'll have that. It would be nice if we could get Gary and Eric to help us with that, you know. But okay, we'll see right. what we can do. So let's go ahead and uh, beam in Ambassador Saval here. <laughs> Saw a young marine in an airport Sitting on his duffel bag all alone Another battle-scarred war-weary hero Heading back to a place he calls home I thought to shake his hand and maybe thank him For volunteering to take up the fight But instead I turned to my gate you see, I didn't want to miss my flight Yeah, I was in a hurry And that Sunday sitting in a church pew Her navy medals described where she'd been I would have thanked her, but I had to get home You see, the playoffs were about to begin Yeah, that's right, I was busy Thank you for your service Why are those words so hard to say? They put their lives in the line of fire To keep us safe at home every day Everything I have I owe to those who paid the price I wish I knew better words to tell them For the courage and sacrifice And joining Brandon and I here in the conference room is accomplished actor and Thorn in Captain Archer's side, Ambassador Saval himself, Mr. Gary Graham. Welcome to Warp 5, Gary. Hey, thanks, guys. Thank you so much. I made it. Here we are. So, Gary, how did you get your start in acting? So, I was at uh, the university, and I was looking around for some uh, electives. 
to boost my grade point average to get in a good medical school and become a doctor. And I uh, bumped into some people that I got chatting with, and I sat in and audited a, uh, an acne directing workshop. And I just had so much fun that I just I just changed uh, abrupt directions and uh, became a drama major, and then eventually spun up to Hollywood. And then uh, before I knew it, I turned around and I had uh, uh, somewhat of a, a busy career. Your first major film role was in Hardcore, opposite George C. Scott. While you were working with him, did he offer you any words of wisdom that helped you in your acting career? Uh, George wasn't that kind of guy. He, w- he would rather offer uh, tips on playing chess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if I, if I pressed him, I was just sort of too much in awe of him and, and working with him. All my energy was going into pretending, uh, you know, to, to giving the illusion that I knew what I was doing. He was very easy to work with and... Uh, well, at least for me, maybe not for the director. George was uh, George was in an interesting time in his life. <laughs> There's a lot of dynamics going. I wrote about it extensively in my book, by the way, Acting and Other Flying Lessons, available on uh, Amazon, I believe. Uh, it's uh, Acting and Other Flying Lessons, um, a practical guide to film acting. I wrote about all my experiences uh, up until that point. Uh, I guess I published it about seven years ago or so. And uh, there's a big chapter about making hardcore and dealing with, uh, uh, getting to work with uh, George C. Scott. I said dealing with, getting to work with George C. Scott, who proved to be a delightful man, but uh, mercurial, a mercurial temperament. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was quite the adventure, uh, you know, working working uh, in the in the red light district on Broadway in San Francisco in the dead of winter at around 4:30 in the morning, <laughs> things got really testy. <laughs> and uh, and and I I did violent scenes with him. Most of it was uh, was done by my my uh, the hard stuff was done by uh, my stunt guy. But uh, I did all the rest. I got banged up and bruised and thrown down the thrown down Broadway Street. <laughs> it was fun. So uh, how did you come to the decision to write a book about your acting experiences, Gary? Uh, I never really decided to do that. I, I, uh, I was approached by uh, a guy that I knew who was a disc jockey. And he had been doing um, this uh, mail order uh, 10-week course, how to be a disc jockey, uh, get your feet wet. And, and on the last uh, week of his course, he would, he would give them that was back in the cassette tape days, he would send out these cassette tapes with homework. Or he would give the students homework and they would record record their voice with these various radio broadcasting homework pieces. And he would send a critique back and with a new assignment. And this went on for 10 weeks. And then the last, last week, he would, um, he would hook up with a local DJ wherever this person was located around the U.S. And he would... Uh, um, uh, offer a deal to the disc jockey uh, or the, the broadcaster says, Hey, uh, you know, take my student in uh, for a week and let him uh, and then give him uh, 20 minutes on air and I'll give you 500 bucks or something like that. I don't know what it was, but uh, it sounded like a really good deal. Uh, and he was making a lot of money. And he said, We could do the same with you, Gary, and acting. I didn't know exactly the logistics of how that would happen, but I embarked on writing the text of what would be my course in doing that. I, I, I just thought, well, who am I? What do I, what do I know about acting? Well, okay, and it, yes, I've had a career of 25 years and 
studied under a lot of people and uh, worked with uh, some stars and um, uh, you know I've got a lot of tales to tell so I just started you know everything I knew about the last 25 years midway through the project he he let me know he says hey I got a bail from this project I got too many pressures at home and I got to do uh, got to care at my own business so I, okay and then I thought to myself what what am I going to do with all this these 75 pages of text I just wrote and I thought well maybe I could write a book I don't know if I can, but I embarked on it. And five years later, I had it all uh, together and, and uh, marketed. So that's that. Acting and other flying lessons, a practical guide to film acting. Yeah, so you talk about flying as well. So tell us how your love of flying came about. Oh, that was, uh, that was a, a kind of a thing. It was a TV movie called, uh, what was that thing called? Danger Island. That's what it was. <laughs> we did it some years back, and it was... Uh, back when the, the two hour movies of the week were, uh, were a big deal. And I was playing a pilot and we were in Hawaii and I was in an airfield and in between sets, you know, you sit in your director's chair and you read scripts or read books or whatever, or just socialize. And I'm watching hour after hour as they're setting lights and moving different setups and all that. I'm watching all these planes come in and land. And it was so, so graceful how they just came and did their, did their flare and settled in and I, it was it was just mesmerizing to me and i remember when my my dad a long time ago had an airplane and he would take us up flying but never you know would hold the wheel and say hey we're flying an airplane uh-huh but i never really was bitten by the flying bug but it happened right there on a runway in hawaii on oahu watching these, these planes land and i thought oh my god i should I'm playing a pilot, a guy who flies airplanes. I should do that for real. Why aren't I doing this for real? So when I got back to the mainland, I immediately signed up for uh, flying lessons. Uh, you know, I don't have my pilot's license, but I'm almost there. I got like 37 hours of, uh, in the air uh, piloting a, a, a small small private aircraft. Seven of those were solo. So I've flown an airplane and done a lot of stuff. And, but I want to get back and finish it and get up in the air for real. <laughs> as a, as an actual legal licensed pilot. Oh man, that must be pretty awesome. I've never, I've I've thought about doing that myself. I've never actually flown a plane or anything like that. I've never really been in any really small planes, but I could just imagine the freedom. It's doable. Yeah, it's 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 great freedom, and you just uh, you know there's parameters that you have to fit within, you know, uh, federal air regulations and all that, and learn how to talk to the tower and ground control and all that. And uh, it, the process is fascinating. And you learn all about, uh, first of all, you learn about aer- aeronautics, uh, uh, lift, drag, thrust, and all that. Um, and uh, you learn the principles of flight, and you learn about the weather and uh, uh, the uh, airspace regulations uh, from various various airports and states and cities. It's, uh, it's great. It's very fascinating. And I likened, uh, there were so many similarities uh, in, uh, in acting to flying a, a private airplane, to, to sticking a landing. Uh, to, there, were just, there were just so many uh, metaphors that popped up uh, through the book that I just, I, I use them whenever, whenever. The book is my experiences and also all the thousands of little bits of information I stole from anybody <laughs> I could. Um, it's a very entertaining book. Anyway. <laughs> Does that answer your question? You bet. So, Gary, we had Eric Pierpoint on the show a few months ago. Oh, I'm very sorry. (laughs) 
No, he's a great guy. Uh, he was a great guest. He had great things to say about you. And he actually, he spoke about his time on Alien Nation. So what was it like taking over the role of Sykes in Alien Nation? And how did you make the role your own? And was there anything from James Kahn's portrayal that you tried to bring to the role? Um, let, let me, uh, I'll answer the first question and that will uh, explain uh and then I won't even have to address the second one. That that'll, that'll that answers in there too. I never saw the the movie Alienation before I did the role. And when we were uh, in rehearsals, uh, Kenny Johnson, the executive producer, asked me, "Would you do you want to do you want to see the movie before we start and go?" And I say, "Oh no, 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 no! Are you kidding? I'll drive you insane. Not to mention myself. No, I just I I don't want to." I just wanted to bring my own take to it. And then after we shot the pilot, I went and saw it. And I said, oh, okay, he did that. And I, I did this. All right. No one's better. They're just, they're just both different. And I admire uh, James Conn a lot. It was interesting. Uh, I met with Eric. Eric guided me on the, on the project. I figure, I figure you know, you've got, uh, you've got a, a series that's dramatic. There's some funny stuff in it. And there's science fiction. And basically the, the main characters, I mean, they're all main characters, but it's basically these two, two cops, one from, a, you know, one from an alien world and one a human, an earthling. So I thought, well, you've already got the opposites right there. So there's a lot of, you know, chance for humor and all that. And so I kind of, I kind of, I, I said, well, what would really be interesting if these guys were so far, not just literally, you know, worlds apart, but uh, just his temperament should be opposite of mine. Is it's the odd couple, and I, I want uh, so, simple little things. Uh, in, in the beginning, uh, after we did the read-throughs and costume fittings, and we're gearing up to go into Kenny Johnson had uh, had all the aliens come in and put on uh, alien makeup. One Saturday, we just I showed up, and I showed up in costume. It was sort of a, a dress rehearsal, if you will. And uh, he just wanted us to walk around downtown. Eric and I walking together uh, as this, this alien and, and a human cop, and, and just kind of you know feel it out and see what see what reaction of people. And uh, we did that, expecting all kinds of bizarre reaction. <laughs> and the the most bizarre thing about it all, we went down to the bus station, right, and you know Grand Central Union Station, and uh, walking around and. The most amazing thing about it was it wasn't amazing at all. <laughs> so jaded are we Angelinos <laughs> that, we, that everybody's, you know, we, we bought gum and paper and, and Cokes and we, you know, walk around all these, you know, the little, the little family, the family of Tankanese, little flag family <laughs> and Matt Sykes walking around and people barely gave them a second thought. They just go, Oh yeah. Okay. We got that thing going. Okay. <laughs> it just, Nobody was going, whoa, what, what is, they just figured, oh, it's LA. Yeah. <laughs> All kinds of people here. <laughs> Either that, human hilarious. or alien or whatever. <laughs> that's hilarious. They didn't even notice. It was pretty amazing. We just said, wow, <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> wow, that's hilarious. No one even noticed. <laughs> <laughs> nobody even noticed. Speaking of things that nobody noticed, about three weeks into filming, this is a five-week uh, five-week shoot. Three weeks into shooting, I pulled up lame. I I had uh, I blew up on a Saturday. I blew my uh, Achilles tendon out 
playing softball, which just broke my heart because I had to I had to call up Kenny and say, hey, you might have to recast, man. I, I uh, the doctor says I should go immediately into surgery, and we're we were only two thirds of the way through the filming. Uh, he says I should go uh, I should go into a surgery, uh, and and he says and if you can't uh, can't go right now, I said well, I'm doing a, I'm doing a, a TV pilot. You know, I got I, I got another uh, I don't know two weeks two weeks left, and uh, I says well, it'll be it'll be more difficult, but we can we can fix it up. You know, just uh, wrap it up with the good. So I I, I called uh, called Kenny, and expecting he say oh wow I'm so sorry you know the part of a lifetime is just gonna be given to somebody else because uh, I'm just like and he says I oh, don't worry about it Gary just we'll just tape it up real good and we'll shoot around it. Oh, really? I couldn't. I said, wait, wait, really? (laughs) I'm not looking for, I'm I'm not out. No, we'll shoot around. So sure enough, I had the doctor make me this molded plastic, high tension plastic foot piece that I just, I just slipped into my, uh, my uh, shoe, just uh, Velcro taped it to the leg and then slipped it in the shoe and just kind of, you know, treaded softly. But, you know, I still have stunts to do. I have the scene. I love the scene. I'm very proud of the way they did this in the pilot where I'm chasing a perp uh, around a corner and he, uh, he shoots up this uh, flight of steps. And the shot was shooting down the steps as, as first the, the, uh, the perp and I was around the corner and I'd run up after him. It was a key. It was a key shot to establish me in the, in the, the action sequences that uh, a lot of them were done by my, in fact, most of them were done by my stuntman. They divide, they had this, this, there was this door swinging on the, on the, uh, on the stairway. And if you, if you ran by it and just kind of gave it an elbow nudge, it would close and it would, it would push against the banister and then swing it over and close. So, so the perp rounds the corner in the shot. uh, The door is open. The perp runs around the corner, starts up the, Starts up the stairway, and as he does it, he just very, very gently or surreptitiously knocks the uh, knocks the door, and as it uh, bangs against the banister, and just before it closes, you see me come come around the corner, and I do a weathering look, like oh gee, and then I start, I just take you know half step up the stairs, and then the uh, the door closes. Then they cut to a shot shooting up, which is the backside of my stunt guy. <laughs> it was just and and the timing had to be perfect and it was they just cut it and if you watch that sequence you go it you will swear Gary Graham is running up that that staircase but I couldn't I could barely walk without a limp I there's no way I could have run up that stairway so so they they it did indeed shoot around it and actually I uh, came up with some really really uh, clever techniques to mask it oh man the magic of Hollywood right yeah yeah really that's that's kind of that's really for me uh, part of the fun. Actually, most of the fun of making movies is working with the, the cameraman and the director and the other actors, uh, solving problems. Sol- solving how are we going to shoot this? Everybody figure out, and and you just you know a good a good director will will take input from anybody because anything that can help us make our day, you know, get in uh, get in before. Uh, before time is up <laughs> and budgets are busted. 
So were you a fan of Star Trek before you got the role on Star Trek Voyager of Tannis in the episode Cold Fire? I wouldn't say I was a Trekkie, but I had I, I watched it when I was uh, when I was growing up and I was I was interested in it. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't watch I wouldn't watch reruns of it. If I saw if I saw it once, I go, got it. <laughs> so a lot of people and it's funny, if I go I go to conventions or whatever and people want to talk about Star Trek. Many, many fans, and I love the fans, love the fans. Uh, they get very, very uh, um, obsessive about some things uh, with Star Trek. And it, it's, a, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating, fascinating thing Gene Roddenberry uh, came up with and, and uh, spawned all these, uh, these generations of them. I get asked questions that are technical questions <laughs> about, about the, uh, the the warp drive and whatnot. And I just have to say, man, hey, I'm an actor. This, this, you do know this stuff isn't real. <laughs> of course, I know it. It's just, yeah, but when you have the NCC, and, and I, I yeah, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. If it wasn't in my episode and I didn't say it, if it was in my scene. I probably know, don't know what you're talking about. That's that's so funny. I was just explaining to my son while ago in the car because he was asking me a question that, you know, maybe I can ask you. And I was like, well, wait a minute. That's more of a question that I should ask a show writer. You should producer, probably ask right? me and I will watch me. You know, you can hear me. My my eyes glaze over. Right. I go, I'm sorry. I, I missed that one. Yeah, that's what I that's what I told him. Yeah, I love it all. I just I just uh, I haven't always watched it and followed it. And if I followed it, I, I didn't pay attention or something. Well, on our last episode, we had uh, Phyllis Strong on and we got into those kind of questions, you know, because we were talking about the episodes that she wrote and she's thought of those things. And, you know, we had Manny Cote on a couple of months ago. Oh, and, nice. And, you know, there he, he's talking about, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, and I, I told my son, I was like, but, you know, actors you know, they're, they're just, they're just doing what they're supposed to do. They're, you know, they're not going to know all the details. Yeah, we don't actually live. <laughs> we don't actually research the roles that much. Right. Um, I, uh, when I, when I got hired to play Saval on the first day, I was elated to have this thing. I had, I had auditioned for Star Trek probably 14 times over a period of, you know, several incarnations. And uh, I, I, I almost wanted to ask him what, would a Chinese accent help me get this part? Anything. I, it's like you guys, you guys have seen everything I've got thrown at this thing. But I had a good feeling about Saval, and apparently it worked. I just made some choices, and apparently they were, they were rock solid with these guys, and, and I got hired, and I was happy. And then I thought, well, let me, I don't know anything about Vulcans, really, except what I've I just sort of made some assumptions and I, I, I showed up in, in costume and makeup and Rick Berman looks at me and goes, Oh, you look like a Vulcan. I go, well, <laughs> thank you. Uh, yes, I guess I, I do. Uh, but can you tell me who am I? <laughs> what? Tell me about the Vulcan. And he just looks at me with a smile on his face and puts his arm around and says, let's walk. And <laughs> we just walked around the soundstage for the next hour while they were preparing the first shot. And he just told me all about Vulcan and, and Vulcans and, and how, uh, you know, even the word Vulcan is, is, is fire, it's, it's combustion. It's, uh, and he told me about the Vulcan, the Vulcan uh, emotional content uh, or uh, emotional disposition naturally is quite volcanic and, and, and fiery and tempestuous and passionate. 
And it's not that they, they feel no emotion. They have just just perfected over the, uh, the millennia, they, they've perfected the art of uh, masking their emotions or, or lest they, they destroy their people. <laughs> well, now that's fascinating. That's fascinating to play. And, and what I drew from uh, Saval's particular case, he's been the ambassador on Earth for some time. And he's, he's a nemesis to, uh, to many of the humans, and they're having a difficult time earning his respect and cooperation in many times. And it's because he's, he raises his voice to make an argument in the pilot, raises his voice, and everybody stops and turns in that very un-Vulcan-like behavior. And uh, uh, Archer turns to him and says, raising your voice to make your point. You have been on Earth too long. Right. And I thought, I thought to myself, oh, that's kind of the key to uh, this particular Vulcan. I, I, I first learned all about the Vulcan and where I came from and then how it's, how it's changed me. Uh, and and I, it really disturbs me to find out that I've been so influenced by Earth's, uh, Earth's culture. So that's something, that was something, uh, something heavy, to, heavy to play. That conflict and that, that self, the self-loathing that it can generate in such a perfectionist as, as Soval. To, to suddenly realize that it's creeping into him <laughs> and there's nothing he can do about it. He can't get reassigned. He can't get off of that rock. <laughs> this, this, it's really weird. This, I, I thought, oh, great, Vulcans. I'll just you know, be a, a walking automaton. And I found out that that's not the case at all. And what I thought was going to be the easiest assignment I ever had in my life ended up being the most difficult, I must say. So, uh, Gary, we actually have uh, several listener questions that we'd like to sprinkle in as we go. We announced uh, about uh, several weeks ago that we were going to be having you on. And we have a listeners group on Facebook. Having me on, are you? <laughs> yeah, having me on. Pull the other one. <laughs> and we, uh, we have a listeners group on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. And uh, Trek FM Network and all the listeners that go in there and they talk about episodes. They talk about things like that. We ask them what questions do they want to hear. So we had a couple of listeners, Tim Cooper and Justin Oser, had actually uh, wondered about the portrayal of Vulcans on Enterprise. And they, want, they wondered about the direction that the producers gave you. Did, they wondered, were you made aware of the Vulcan arc or what they were wanting to do with the species? Or did they just kind of turn you loose and let you go at the beginning? Good. Good questions. Um, the first two, those are three questions. The first two, I think I just answered it. Yeah, because I I didn't uh, I heard I heard it said in some chat rooms that you know Braga and Brandon Brandon Braga and uh, Rick Berman were you know they're swerving off the, uh, the 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 Star Trek template, and I I didn't know how to answer that I because I, I really wasn't that well versed with the Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and uh, you know Voyager I really wasn't that well versed so I I just had to say whoa I don't I don't know. I, I thought I just thought it was pretty good drama, pretty well done. And what what were were you made aware of what they were wanting to maybe do with the Vulcans, or were you just kind of turned loose and they just rode around it? I was not, but I I just kind of pieced it together. And by by uh, by uh, season four, when Manny Cotto came in, I, it, it it all crystallized kind of clearly. And I think he really did a great job of unifying at, uh, at Vulcans. The, the, from the original series way and from just some, some new innovative. And, and mostly I was happy because he, he has a big uh, affection for a Vulcan 
And uh, that's, since that's in my wheelhouse, uh, I ended up working a whole lot. When I got this, when I first got this role, I was signed for just the pilot. I had no deal in place for, uh, should it, should it get picked up and should, should it go uh, 13 or 22 episodes or whatever. I had no deal in place. So this could be, uh, well, here's the uh, Vulcan ambassador. And in the next episode, it could have been, well, it was sad about what happened to the Vulcan ambassador, but here's the new Vulcan ambassador. You know, it could have been that easy if they didn't like what I was doing in the pilot. Uh, and I knew that. And I purposely wanted to make uh, the ambassador uh, a particularly, particularly barbed pain in the butt for Archer. <laughs> he should be a foil. He should be, uh, if I wanted to work <laughs> at this show, I was going to make myself a real SOB. And, and really be the smarmiest, snottiest, <laughs> haughtiest, not hottest, ladies, okay, but haughtiest, haughtiest uh, ambassador you can imagine, because then maybe they'll bring me back. And my plan worked. My scheme, I took their, their lines and just, just, I was just as snotty and arrogant as I could possibly be. And I go, yes, I'm in. <laughs> and then the arc, and I, I thought the arc should be, Though he resists it, they give him nothing but trouble, so he gives them nothing but trouble back. Eventually, he comes to see, and this is in the, this is in the mode of, of, of a Gene Roddenberry, he comes to see the errors of his ways slowly. He develops some friendships, and he starts to respect. He goes from barely able to tolerate the pink skins to actually coming to admire them and, and even respecting them. And such that he would uh, he would sacrifice his own life for the Federation. I thought I thought that was a pretty cool way to go. And they uh, they sh they just we never really talked a lot about it. They don't ask actors for you know their arcs. How would you like to see your character develop? <laughs> but I just put that vibe out there without even talking to them. Really, I just uh, I just I in my performance I was leaning that way. So fortunately they uh, they saw they saw it right. And Manny Koto in particular saw that the arc should be completed. He should come out and, and be a true friend of the humans at the end, having, having detested him uh, so much at the beginning. Looking at, when I went back and looked at the list, I've, I've watched the series several times, and I'm a big fan of yours. I was a big fan of yours before I actually saw you on Enterprise, and I was very happy when I saw that you had the role. And it looks like you only have 12, you were only in 12 episodes but it just seems like you were always there. You were always there. That's how big of a character that you built. Oh, and, nice. Thank and, you. Appreciate and, that. And it like it appears like your 12 episodes, most of them are during the season 4 during Manny Cotto's run. What what was the what was the shift like as as you moved into season 4 on the series? Like for you it seemed like you were gotten a lot busier. Yeah, I got I got called to work a lot more often and I thought Damn, this is nice. I like the, I like the way the arc is opening up. It's like maybe I was maybe I was hypnotizing them from afar, ESP or something. But that's how I saw it uh, developing. They agreed, and and, and uh, God bless Manny Cotto. That's all I can say. Great group of people to work with, by the way. I, I loved uh, CBS and Paramount. They just took real good care of us, and uh, all the people that they hired were just top notch, and uh, the cast and the, the crew, everybody was just so great. That was actually a listener, Shoab Rahib, would ask, uh, what was your experience like working with the regular cast and the crew of Enterprise? It was uh, from the top down, from the, the star, uh, uh, from Archer, Sc 
Scott just uh, just was a real leader and uh, set the tone. And the tone was the tone was dedicated but light, light, smooth, and and cool and relaxed. And and everybody was just I didn't I didn't I didn't feel the same kind of uh, uh, disruptive tension that uh, plagues many sets. I felt nothing but uh, supported and and uh, and and appreciated. And and uh, everybody was just great and good humor and and relaxed and uh, made it fun. Fun to, and everybody just worked really hard all the time, but it was a fun thing. It was a fun work. And it was lots of laughs and <laughs> it's just, it just great, great experience. Ten out of ten stars. But it was that's that said, I came off of alienation, and alienation was uh, you know I I had much more uh, control and power in, in that, but also you know the burden of responsibility. Uh, Eric and I did not that. There weren't many, many other people uh, carrying the load, but uh, there was this extra special uh, load on us to make this thing fly and make it work and uh, make it entertaining. And and, uh, and if we had a question, something we wanted to try, this thing was all in-house at the studio that uh, that we had. Um, the, the writers were upstairs with the producers, and they're going over different scenes and whatnot, and the editors were there. and. I could run off. I could just say, hold on a second. Give me five minutes, please. I'd run off and, and just and ask for a clip or something from the editors and then rush upstairs and burst into a meeting and say, Kenny, real quick question. <laughs> what if we did this? And I'd get an instantaneous response just as fast as I could run. <laughs> I'd come back to the set and go, yeah, we're going to do this. And uh, the directors were real cool about it and just you know, laughed it off. And, uh, and we shot it. We shot it. Uh, the general the general thought on alienation was, uh, you know, when in doubt, shoot it both ways. We'll figure it out in the editing room. Sometimes you don't want to trust that, <laughs> uh, but uh, in this case, it worked out great. They were they were masterful. Get going off of that kind of loose goose, really easy going set to Star Trek. Star Trek isn't run like that. <laughs> it's it's run more like a like a military like a aircraft carrier. <laughs> it's it's military precision and. Uh, we don't we don't shoot it both ways, and we just you know everything is by the book. And I had a little difficulty adjusting to that kind of, but it kind of helped my character too, because Saval was definitely from that uh, that sort of temperament. Did you have a particular director that you especially like to work with on Enterprise or on Alien Nation? And this question was submitted by Justin Ozer. Oh, that's a good question. I've worked with so many, so many, and uh, gosh, that would be a long list. I have very few. So a much shorter list is, is uh, the directors that I wouldn't want to work with again. <laughs> that is a very short list, um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that on the air. Okay, we won't. Well, I guess I'll scratch that question out. No, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> That's okay. So many good uh, um, editors uh, end up sometimes being great uh, great directors. Uh, former actors quite often uh, are are lots of fun really helpful because they know what you're going through. There's just a lot of great directors. You know, the best directors, the best directors are the ones who have an idea what they want, but they, they'll let you work and they'll just kind of stay out of the way and let you work and then uh, come up and just kind of whisper something or just, you know, in a low tone, just kind of mention something and, and, uh, and help you that way if, if you're missing something or uh, doing something that, it might not might not be uh, apropos, but the best directors I've I've come to find uh, 
really don't don't say a lot. <laughs> they don't have to. They don't. They just let you go. You know, and, and just watch. The main thing is to watch for consistency. You know, make sure consistency is there, and then where, wherever you went, uh, we followed. So, Gary, you've appeared in several Star Trek fan films since your time on Enterprise. So, what is it about fan films that appeals to you? Freedom. A lot of it comes down to when, when they're, they're getting you so inexpensively, shall we say, <laughs> getting you so inex, inexpensively that the actor has no qualms about saying, well, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to try this. And usually the director will say, okay, <laughs> we'll just let it go. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's a freedom to, uh, to try a lot of different things that you maybe ordinarily wouldn't. You'd ordinarily just kind of get their get their quick sketch of it and do something uh, traditional or or uh, or expected. But I like to mix it up. I like the I like the freedom of having a small budget and you just everybody has to figure out how to make it work. It's lots of fun. I just wish they'd pay more. <laughs> so, how did your experiences differ on working on Gods of Man, Renegades, and Prelude to Axanar? Uh, Axanar was uh, shot really quickly as I recall. And uh, the conditions were nice. It was LA out here and it was just easy going, you know, like making a movie with friends. Now, uh, Gods and Men that we shot in upstate New York in the dead of, dead of summer after a bunch of monsoons came through and just almost just flooded the place with this hot, hot rain that made it very, very humid, very hot. And the bugs were just devils. They wouldn't leave us alone. And the cell phone was the cell phone connections were very bad. And uh, what else? The plumbing in the studio they were using broke down as soon as we got there. Oh, and man. Uh, so we had to we had it was very stenchy uh, in there, very uncomfortable physically, very hot. Uh, the studio was very very hot and uncomfortable. But you know what? When when the camera we were working with some wonderful people and Tim Russ was directing and. We had our cinematographer, or the his, uh, we had a cameraman from Enter, Enterprise uh, uh, as our DP, and uh, working with wonderful actors. And as soon as uh, action started, we forgot how uncomfortable it was. That wasn't even an issue. We didn't care because it was just so much fun to do this uh, do this picture. Uh, and then they yell cuts, and then we go back to our misery. <laughs> but uh, it was it was a fun fun ten days. We have a few listener questions. It's just, just shooting all around the place here. Kind of a chef's buffet of listener questions. Good. Rebecca Skipper asks, uh, what episode of Enterprise was your favorite to work on? Or what was your, just your favorite in general? Hmm. That's a good one. I, I kind of liked that scene where Shran, played by Jeffrey Combs, is torturing me. Uh, for I think that we shot that, that as about eight hours. Eight hours worth of work shooting that scene. So I was exhausting, physically demanding, but uh, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> Anytime I get to work with Jeffrey Combs, it's a good day. <laughs> He's, I just love him. So now you may not know so much about season three of Enterprise because you weren't in it as much, but in season three of Enterprise, they took on this darker tone of uh, this 9-11 parable. And then season four uh-huh. of the show really took this prequel format to the original series. How did you feel about the tone of Enterprise and how it switched up for the last two seasons? This is a question submitted by Brandon Coles. Ah, uh, that's a very, very uh, bright, intelligent question that uh, 
I am uh, I, I am out of my my pay grade here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. It was it was the, the Delphic Expanse stuff. I didn't like it personally because it took me. I'm on I'm I'm on Earth, and they're out in the Delphic Expanse, and I couldn't talk Saval or talk uh, to Paul into not going. It's like I I, I was kind of her her uh, surrogate father there on earth. And I, I, I looked after her and I, uh, I worried about her. And, uh, but I only had one episode to <laughs> even indicate that. You'd have liked it better if you'd have stowed away in the ship. You know, yeah, the ship. exactly. And uh, I was hoping it would go longer, but uh, such, is, such, is, uh, such is the case. So when Axanar came along, I thought, well, this is kind of cool. It's kind of, you know, the uh, drama continues. I still think that uh, that Axanar... I thought Axanar and, and Paramount CBS should should join up, join teams, and uh, and, and explore that story. That's what I thought. But uh, as I say, I'm an actor. <laughs> Who listens to actors? Is there any talks? Or are you still planning on being in Axanar, whatever the format ends up becoming for that? Now that it's well, been we'll settled, well, I, I, I don't know. I uh, I don't know. We've had uh, preliminary talks. A bit confining the. Uh, Restrictions that the settlement uh, placed on 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 Alex's uh, future plans on it. So I, I I don't really know. I don't know what two 15-minute segments. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll get the story told, one way or another. I'm just an actor. <laughs> I've already said that before. That's right. like that's the equivalent in in, in Star Trek uh, or or um, sci-fi interrogations. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, interviews. Um, that's tantamount to uh, pleading the fifth. <laughs> Very good. I understand. Listener Dan Leckie asked, how did you approach such roles as the mirror Saval in A Mirror Darkly or the alternate Saval in Twilight since it was a different? How did you feel when you saw those scripts? I came in, well, I, 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 appealed, I appealed to their mercy, really. I, I said, guys, I don't really get this script and I've read it twice. I'm worried about myself, but I don't really get it. And I didn't see the original series uh, version of this. And so I don't really know. Uh, I understand I've gone through some, some kind of face anomaly and, and things are opposite and it's a parallel universe. I understand that. But when Archer is doing this, and this is, this is on the set, on the set with Scott Bakula and, and uh, Jolene Blaylock and uh, we're, we're, I think we're getting guns drawn off or something. And I said, and then Scott's, Scott's doing a line and he turns to me and I have a line. We're, we're rehearsing. And I have a line and I say, see, that's another thing. Scott, are, are you now the bad twin? Are you a, 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 a fifth version? Are you an outside entity that is watching you deal as the bad archer with the good archer? And, and Scott just looks at me and turns around and Oh God! Will someone come here and get Gary a script? <laughs> <laughs> he walks away, and, and I know Scott. He's such he's he's a good friend. He's a he's a very funny guy, and he was. I knew he wasn't mad. He just was just oh God! We have to explain this thing to another actor one more time. But I sincerely try as I must. I couldn't figure out what it was all about. And why Tapal was suddenly this and jerking me around, and suddenly I'm uh, I'm very the opposite of arrogant and haughty. I'm 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 humble and 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 doubting myself. And I just thought, well, this is fun. 
<laughs> don't get me wrong. I'll say the lines and believe them. And it's fun. I'll be damned if I understand this episode. And <laughs> I just, even after, after the episode um, wrapped, but when I saw it on television, I said, oh, okay. It makes perfect sense. I see what they're going for. <laughs> Very good. That's good to know. Well, we'd just like to tell you, uh, we'd just like to tell you, Gary, that those that two-parter in a mirror darkly, it's called, is a fan favorite, and a lot of people put it at the top of their list for Enterprise. Oh, episodes. nice! I was just happy that uh, I could actually pilot the Enterprise for about twenty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it was lots of fun doing that too. It was special effects. I love working around special effects, things exploding and all that. Even even though there is, there's always possibilities of something going wrong uh been on many many sets where that was the case but still i love things popping around it, it, it helps helps get you in the mood you know things exploding and dropping and blowing up and you have your critical marks <laughs> you know they, they use this term critical marks when you're when you have to go forward and hit your mark on something meaning critical for focus and all that but it takes on a new meaning when there's fire involved and explosions and these really are critical marks. <laughs> you want to keep that face the way it is. So it, it was it was a lot of fun filming it. Star Trek Discovery is coming sometime, and Sarek is actually going to be played by James Frain on this upcoming episode they've announced. Greg Mullenby asked, since Saval could be a mentor to Sarek, have you been approached to be in Discovery yet? Uh, no, uh, I I know nothing. If there's if there are uh, Conversations about this, I know nothing about them. But uh, did I mention I'm an actor? <laughs> they don't tell us anything. <laughs> they they tell us they call us up and say, "Okay, so uh, we got the deal uh, closed." And I go, "Wait, wait, what, 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 what deal?" <laughs> oh, uh, you know the Star Trek thing. I said, uh, "Huh? What? <laughs> oh, didn't somebody call you?" No. Yeah, yeah, working in two weeks. <laughs> Often the way it goes. Uh, and I go, "Okay, I'm just hanging around, waiting, you know." training and waiting for orders from a fan's perspective uh greg's asking since um like time-wise we're talking you know fandom in the universe time-wise uh it would make sense that sarek who is spock's father would be mentored by saval because he would be the direct ambassador like right after your character sarek would become the ambassador of earth so the the spin here this is for your agent. Your spin here is that you need to show up on Discovery as the handoff to Sarek. There you go. <laughs> the handoff to Sarek. Yep. Got it. I'm getting. As soon as I get off the phone here, I'm going to call my agent. Right. The the handoff. I'm the handoff to Sarek. Yeah, I mean, you would you're you would be the direct line. You would be like <laughs> Sarek should be learning from you how to be the ambassador. It would make a lot of sense in universe. That's why Greg asked that. So thank you, Greg, for that. If I, if they agree, I agree. <laughs> right. You're an actor. You'll show up when they call, right? I'm an actor. Right. Give me a call time. Right. <laughs> Give me my lines. You will swear that I came up with the, that. I, those are actual thoughts. <laughs> right on. So we have one more question for you here, Gary. Mm-hmm. You've released some music with Lyle Engel. Tell us about the creation of your album and the charity that you're donating uh, 20% of your proceeds to, the Wounded Warrior Project. Ah, uh, yes. Well, they had some uh, they had some problems, and it wasn't quite clear whether that was uh, the. It, it, since then, they had some. This, this is after we uh, we hooked up to uh, benefit them. Yeah, we just liked uh, the Wounded Warriors, and 
we we donated I think 20% of our proceeds for the music to the Wounded Warriors. We still do that, but we also uh, uh, donate to a, a organization called um, Ride to Recovery, which is a a group uh, based out here that uh, that uh, in the interest of of working the uh, the GI our veterans back in the mainstream living here in in, in America. Uh, they uh, they take wounded wounded uh, soldiers and adapt specially fitted uh, bicycles for them to to go on these these rides. They have uh, periodically throughout the year. Uh, one of uh, my band has played for several of these. The uh, the ride to recovery uh, from San Francisco to Los Angeles, about 500 miles uh, or so. And uh, we play. We play when they come in uh, and are getting refreshments. We support our troops. So, when you guys do, you write music together, or do you just sing? What kind of instruments do you play? We. Uh, uh, this is a buddy of mine uh, out here in L.A. Lyle Angle. He's uh, he works. He's a film uh, a sound engineer and editor, and uh, also a musician. So I said, well, we should get together with guitars and jam sometime. So. We keep saying that and keep not doing it, and finally call him up and say, "Hey, let's let's actually really get together, okay?" So I bring my guitar over to his studio, and he's uh, got a recording studio. I find so well, that's kind of cool. He says, "Well, you want to jam or you want to write something?" So I say, "Wow, okay, we could write something." He says, "What's on your mind?" I thought, "Well, I'm kind of pissed off about a certain political situation." I told him what it was, and he started writing and. Half hour goes by, and he's got two verses written, and I've written a chorus, and then we come up with a with a bridge and a third verse, and uh, repeat the chorus, and we got a song. It took us two and a half hours. Uh, wow, this is incredible! So we came back the next day and went into his uh, fine studio, and he's such a, a great uh, sound engineer. We just banged this out, banged a, banged the song out, and then uh, you know he's he's editing that, and I go off and write another song. And meanwhile, he writes another song. So we got three songs. They come out. And we we uh, record those. And then he writes another song, and I wrote another song. And we sort of met together and kind of worked out parts and uh, and recorded them. We had five songs, uh, all in the space of about a week or two. And uh, we, we've we been playing them around. We've played them at various venues in, in L.A. Um, and uh, great fun. Great fun. I enjoy uh, writing songs. In fact, I got a writing a. I have a, a another band called the Sons of Kirk, and uh, we're gonna play. We played uh, last August at the uh, Star Trek uh, convention there, at the Rio. Played three nights up in the Voodoo round, Lounge, and uh, it was uh, a big hit. And I, I had written, I had taken uh, five uh, classic rock songs that I knew, and uh, I just applied. Uh, humorous uh, Star Trek lyrics to him. <laughs> I reached out and got some studio musicians that I knew and we did some rehearsal and we showed up in Vegas and we played three nights at the, in the Voodoo Lounge and people kind of kind of loved it. So we've been asked uh, by, uh, by creation to be the house band for the next Vegas, uh, August 2nd in, uh, at, the, at, the, at the Rio. Nice. So I'm um, writing, writing songs now. So we're about to go into rehearsals. That'll be fun. So you mentioned uh, your book at the beginning that can be available on Amazon. So could you tell our listeners again what the name of that book is? 
It's called Acting and Other Flying Lessons, a practical guide to film acting. And then what are some other projects that you're working on or have, have finished or about to start on that our listeners can be looking out for? I am uh, working on a uh, executive producing, co-executive producing a series that uh, we're going to be shooting. We're planning on shooting in the fall. A lot of it involves a lot of music, a lot of music. So it'll be, uh, I'll, I'll get to act and, 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 and play music in it. So I'm excited about that. We're just, uh, we're finalizing the script right now. Script of the pilot, I should say. We're going to do like 10 episodes starting uh, probably late September, early October in LA, shooting LA. Cool. And that, that could be released this fall if the pilot gets picked up? Yeah, I don't know when it could be released. Probably, we're probably talking the early spring of next okay. year. How can our listeners follow you on social media? Oh, uh, Gary Graham uh, on Facebook and uh, uh, at actor Gary Graham on Twitter. And do you, do you have a website? Uh, I do, but it's in disrepair, so uh, it, it needs uh, needs some uh, some tender loving care. <laughs> I'm in between. Uh, in between, uh, what do they call them? Web mutts. Okay. Uh, one, one young lady who was doing it used to call it web mutt. I'll be your web mutt. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on Warp 5, Gary. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been fun. about that that was pretty good i mean it's it's pretty neat to to listen about how some of his early acting experience and how he got involved and you know that story that he told about his his sore foot on the on the alien nation pilot episode was pretty amazing i mean you don't you don't get a lot of those behind the scenes stories that was actually it was really fun to listen to right and I mean, seriously, the magic of Hollywood can do amazing things. And he takes like half a step and then cut, bring in the stunt double. Boom. We have a stunt double run up the stairs for him. That was pretty amazing. So yeah. li listeners, we actually, uh, I had a ton of questions that we were asking, but Gary did such a great job with his 
stories and with his interviews, he actually answered a ton of your questions. So like I had questions from Dan Leckie. I had Shoab Rahib. I had uh, Tim Cooper, Justin Oser. Thank you all so much for submitting your questions. And I had them in the show notes, but Gary was just going right down the line, almost as if he could see my show notes and he was actually answering them. So Brandon and I are actually skipping ahead on the show notes, trying to find what he hasn't already <laughs> answered. Yeah, he was a great interviewee. He was awesome. Right. I mean, we didn't even have to ask him questions. The guy is a pro. He is a pro. So, did you know he's an actor? Yeah, that I think he may have mentioned that. That's that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that was awesome. I've uh, again, I am serious. I didn't realize he only appeared in twelve episodes of Enterprise. It just he is such a big personality such a big deal and he made that character so big i honestly thought he was on a lot more than just 12 episodes i mean porthos was probably on 12 episodes of course i mean porthos is kind of a big deal too you know but yeah i mean porthos like the second star of the show right right after right after archer right Yeah, right speaking of porthos my wife ashley asked if we could have him on soon you know maybe do like a video cast of porthos but i told her we, we would have to work on that so but yeah gary graham that was that was very interesting. Very interesting. His stories uh, coming from the sets, um, and just the uh, you know even when he talked about the fan films, you know I mean I kind of I kind of thought that might be a reason, but you know the freedom of being an actor and just trying what you want and you know not having to get caught up in basically studio bureaucracy is kind of what he said that he really liked about it. So that was very interesting. Hmm. So we have a U.S. store iTunes review that showed up um, just last week. Uh, It's from Alexander Gates. It was five stars. It said, boldly podcasting. I discovered this podcast and started listening in earnest during a recent rewatch of Star Trek Enterprise. Listening to a currently produced podcast while watching the series made me feel like Enterprise was still fresh and new. I love the interviews with the cast and crew, as well as behind the scenes discussion and insight on the show. The length is perfect. Short bits on a variety of topics, including a recent highlight on the toys sparked by the show. This is a must for anyone watching or who loved Enterprise. So thank you so much, Alexander, for that five-star review. We really, really appreciate it. We're glad you like the short format, and we're sorry that today's episode is so long. <laughs> well, I mean, Gary Graham, he can talk about what he wants to talk about. You know, <laughs> Gary Graham wants to talk. We let Gary Graham talk. He's, he's an amazing, amazing interviewee. Speaking of the reviews, uh, we had our Blu-ray contest, and we drew a winner, and the winner was Stronger Than Zetan, and he actually contacted me, and his real name was actually Justin Trujillo. So if you see Justin in the Babel Conference, you can tell him congratulations on that Blu-ray set. It's already in the mail to him, and he will be uh, get warming that thing up very quickly, I'm sure. We also got an email that I'd like to read to you guys. Um, now, it does talk a little bit about my other show, Melodic Treks, as well, but uh, I thought we should read it here because I think it's Warp 5 that prompted uh, Del Hurd to contact us. So, Del, first I'd like to apologize for taking so long to read this out on air, uh, but we do greatly appreciate you uh, you and your feedback. I mean, it, it really moves us, and this is why we're doing it, is for the listeners. So when you reach out to us and tell us how much you're enjoying, especially with the reviews on iTunes for everybody who's done that, it really makes us feel good and it makes us know that we're appreciated so we appreciate you for sending in the email so del Hurd had this to say he said i need to thank you three times over 
first for suggesting that I check out the movie Pontypool. Remember that guy's Pontypool. <laughs> Amazingly, my local library had a copy and I watched it last night. You are absolutely right. It was great. I don't know why Stephen McCaddy is not a bigger star because he was just wonderful in this movie. Second, for suggesting that I read Star Trek Federation. I recently joined the Star Trek group on Goodreads. So that's our uh, listeners group for our literary Trek show. And you were kind enough to make a number of suggestions for books that a beginning Trek reader might enjoy. I'm halfway through Federation and I am loving it. When I finish it, I will start on Spock's World. Lastly, for your podcast, Melodic Treks, since beginning to listen a couple of months back, I've purchased all of the movie soundtracks as well as the La La Land TOS collection. It is all that I listen to in my car anymore, and it makes my daily commute so much more pleasant. Well, that's it. I won't take up any more of your time. I just wanted you to know that your contributions to the network are very much appreciated and do positively affect the lives of the people who listen. Sincerely, Del Hurd. Thank you very much, Del Hurd. Although I'm sad to say that all you're listening to is Star Trek music in your commute. I mean, we were hoping you'd listen to Warp 5. (laughs) Or melodic tracks, right? Or melodic tracks. Well, I'm sure that, <laughs> or literary that's, tracks. that's just in between us releasing episodes. You know, he's already listened to the back catalog. Makes sense. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Excellent. Right on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dell. Uh, yeah, it, it actually feels really good that we're not just talking into the void, right, Brandon? You know, the, yes, there, I know. Actually, we, have, we have the listeners out there. Thank you so much for supporting the network and supporting Warp 5. Talking to Gary Graham is not the only thing we've been doing on Trek FM this week, so here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, the 602 Club. I saw Spaceballs first. Because, of course, I'm, you know, the huge Star Wars fan, and uh, it, it that is a hilarious spoof of Star Wars, but Mel Brooks works in all of these other great spoofs along with that. Melodic Treks. Yeah, I just wanted to tell stories about... I don't know, not just themes, but characters and and connections between characters that matter. Because I tend to write songs that are metaphors cloaked in metaphors. So it's the truth in plain sight. I always write the truth in plain sight. It's always right there waiting. Um, But sometimes if you're not paying attention, you can't see through the metaphor, then you don't see what the truth is. Stage 9, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. I don't know much more than the fact that the entire time I was watching it, I didn't believe that a single thing in that was actual documentary footage in any way, and that the woman that was supposedly this psychologist was anything but an actress. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, or you can go to our website and download the MP3 file or grab the RSS link. And if you're an Apple user, go ahead and hit that subscribe button because that helps other Apple users find our show easier. And with the reviews that we get, just like we had the review earlier from Alexander Gates, that actually helps us become more visible and it helps us grow the show. And thank you so much for all of you listeners that help us share our announcements in uh, Facebook. Those are so great. And then all of your comments in the Facebook groups are so awesome to get to listen to and get your feedback. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. So if you visit patreon.com slash trackfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trackfm, you can find all of our current goals and milestones. And remember, for just even just $1 a month, if this if what you hear you really like, it really could help us out. I mean, if all of our listeners 
just donated $1 a month, that would just take our network to the next level. We could hire editors with that kind of cash for just $1 a month. If you wanted to pop up to $5 a month, you have access to the patron zone. And Brandon's actually a manager of the patron zone. So Brandon, what's been going on in the patron zone lately? We've got lots of early releases for you. We've got lots of exclusive content being contributed by the hosts of the network. There's some wallpapers up there that you can download, and it's really, really cool. It's a great place to go. Uh, so check it out. Uh, if you donate at the $5 a month level, you can get access to Patreon, or sorry, patron.zone, which is where you can find all that great stuff. Very good, very good. And then if you wanted to pump it up, $15 a month gets you to the patrons roundtable, which I was just thinking about today. I was on the patrons roundtable. You were on the patrons roundtable. That's table. where I started. You bet. That's where Richard Marquez, I was on the very, uh, the first patrons roundtable I was on, Richard was on. So I was talking to him the other day and it made me think, of like, oh yeah, he got started there. Uh, I mean, you just go around the, around the network right now and almost all of our show hosts now have gotten started on the patrons roundtable. So for $15 a month, you can try your pot, your chance at podcasting. And if you wanted to pump it up to $25 a month, you actually get to be named as associate producer of your favorite show. And speaking of associate producers, I want to thank Mike Morrison and our newest associate producer for Warp 5, Tim Cooper, for supporting the show through patreon.com. Also, stop the press, stop the press, stop the press. Wait a minute. We have another, we have another associate producer. We do. Floyd doesn't know what this is, so this is a surprise for him. So he's going to hear for the first time. Justin Ozer. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much, Justin. So Justin is our, actually our newest associate producer for Warp 5. Very good. Thank you so much. So Mike Morrison, yeah. Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, thank you so much for being associate producers of Warp 5. We surely appreciate it. Thank you so much. So we got to give these guys roles. So you can be Captain Archer. I'll be Trip. Mike Morrison can be Phlox. Okay. Tim Cooper can be Reed. Okay. And Justin Oster can be Hoshi. Uh-oh. Okay. Justin's got Justin's on the on the mic. He's he's over Or Porthos. He's on the com. Or Porthos. <laughs> Justin. Well, Porthos is the second star, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's a pretty true. That's role. true. Justin may want to be chef. I don't know. Well, he could be chef. Yeah, he could right. be chef. <laughs> so, yes, I'd also like to thank Tony Robinson for creating our very cool show art. Thank you so much, Tony. And Brandon, thank you so much for handling the editing and publishing of Warp 5. You're very welcome. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us at trek.fm slash contact and look at the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash Trek FM and leave us a voicemail. You can all... I dare you. <laughs> I dare you to leave us a voicemail. Chicken. The engineer is daring you. He will put you, Chicken. He will put you in on the show if you'll leave us a voicemail. Let us know your opinion about uh, what something that Gary Graham may have spoke about or... Maybe one of our past episodes that we've been talking, like uh, some kind of a question that we've asked. Leave us a voicemail. That'd be so cool to put you on the show. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And as we mentioned throughout the show, the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook. Or you can go to our website at Trek.FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. So, man, Gary Graham... Another another awesome episode in the can. Another great interview in the can. We've got the Carbon Creek commentary coming up with Dayton Ward. Man, we're just going warp five all the way here. 
So Brandon, uh, if our listeners want to get in touch with you to talk about all the great episodes that we've been having coming out or in that we've got coming down the line, how can they reach you? You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Matella. And every once in a while, I poke my head up in the Babel Conference. And coming very, very soon, uh, I'm actually launching a new podcast with a couple of friends of mine uh, called Good Evening. And it's an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Good Evening Pod. And as well, streaming around the network here with my music, playing my uh, records and my CDs and my MP3s over on Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. And Floyd, where can people find you on the network? If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me on the Babel Conference, the Trek FM listeners page on Facebook. So, Boomers, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>